All right, here's what I want you to start doing. I want you to, as I'm talking, begin thinking about a person that personifies love to you, okay? So in that mindset, be thinking about somebody who's sacrificing, who's giving, who maybe thinks of your needs, who's willing to maybe give up sleep for you. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you thought of your mom? Anybody? I mean, it's Mother's Day. If you didn't, I'm sorry for the house in which you grew up. But as we're here, there is, I think, this great connection between our text today and the day that we're celebrating, that is Mother's Day. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2 as we're going to be in verses 7 through 14. Now, Verses 7 through 14 are dealing with something specific, and I want to kind of give you the context of it. So John wrote this letter to the early church. There are all these house churches throughout the known world, and as John is addressing them, he had basically had a hand in starting them, but they had started to stray. They'd strayed in their faith, in their belief, in their practice. In fact, the pagan world had kind of influenced and impact what was going on within the churches. The culture was telling the church how they should act, that the physical body doesn't matter. But they also had these questions that were being taught by untrained people, people who are unaccountable, who just didn't have the education, or maybe the theological knowledge, or in John's case, the practical knowledge of Jesus. And they were questioning their faith, their practice, and everything else. And so John is writing them to kind of recenter them on the person and work of Jesus and that which he called them to be and called them to do. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. Chapter, seven, or chapter 2, verse 7 says this, Beloved, some of yours might say beloved children. He's writing this as a father figure, as their spiritual leader. And he wants you to know, hey, I love you from the very beginning. You are important to me. You're valuable to me. Beloved, beloved children. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Now, he's saying this because he's referencing the start of the church. He's referencing the messages that he gave them as he founded the church. And he's really referencing the gospel of John that he wrote. The life testimony, the story that he had of Jesus and the early gospels and the teachings that he had. I'm not writing you anything new, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. From the start of your church, that's what I'm referencing here. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. So in the story of the gospel message, it's the new commandment that I'm, I'm referencing, which is true in him, that is Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Continue on in verse 12. It says, I'm writing you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. They were doubting their faith. I'm writing you because your sins are forgiven. No, and then he goes in verse 13. I'm writing you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. 
I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing you to remind you of what you've already heard, the truth that is in you, that you got the power of God, the spirit of God, the word of God in you, and you need to live like it, meaning you're not living according to the gospel message in which you had heard. And I want you to stop. Chapter two, verse one, he says, I'm writing you this so that you won't sin. He's continuing this theme and he's addressing this issue of love. And he makes it very, very clear to them that they have a command in which they are to abide by, that they are commanded to love. Look at the text again. It says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is a word in which you've heard. Now, they're going to think of the old commandment, the greatest commandment, all that. Verse 8, at the same time, I, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Here's the new commandment that they knew. It is to love, right? I'm commanding you to love. This is a commandment. This is the marching orders. This is a non-negotiable for the follower of Jesus Christ. He says it's an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment. So in their mind, they're going to go back if they have the Jewish lineage in their, in their life and in their faith to the Shema. They're going to think of the greatest commandment that Jesus referenced that we see in the gospel. What is the greatest commandment? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the second is like that. So they're going to think of the greatest commandment. And then the second commandment is this, which summarizes the the Old Testament commandment, the Ten Commandments. So first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love your God with everything you have. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he's referencing this. But since John is writing this, and John is the author of the gospel of John, the life testimony, his eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, he's not just talking about this. He's trying to remind them of the commandment that he gave them, which is found in John 13, 34. This is the new commandment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So this is the new commandment. Not to love your, just to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like that's the foundation. Not to love your neighbor as yourself, but this is it. To love as Christ has loved us. That is the commandment. That is the game changer. They are to not think about themselves. They are to think about Christ and his example in their life. Like they're supposed to think about the sacrifice that Jesus made. The loving kindness that Jesus showed to other people. So they're to reference like the woman at the well. The woman who's caught in adultery. How Jesus didn't throw stones. How he wasn't mean. He wasn't hateful. But he acted in love and kindness. He was generous and gracious to people. He says, look, I no longer want you to love according to the standard of yourself. I want you to love according to my standard. And whenever you think about this, it's totally different in this because sometimes we're not good at loving ourselves. In fact, there's going to be things that I say today that tonight when I'm going to bed, I'm going to think about. And you know what I'm going to say? 
Cole, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you would do this. And I'm going to have an ongoing dialogue about multiple things that happens in my day, especially on Sunday morning when I preach. You want to know why? Because it happens every single Sunday night. And sometimes it goes into Monday and Tuesday night. I'm thinking about what happened on Sunday. I'm like, man, I can't believe this. But we're the perfect place for imperfect people, so God can use anything. And maybe people can be like, if God can use Cole, he can use me too. So what a great pastor we have in that, right? But as you're, you're thinking about in this terms, when we love our neighbor as ourself, sometimes that's not very much. Because who are we most critical of? Ourselves. Who are we sometimes meanest to? Ourselves. Who do we put down the most? Oftentimes, ourselves. And so Jesus is looking, he says, look, you're not your standard of love. I am your standard of love. And I want you to think of how I gave of myself. In fact, I was willing to lay down my own life for you. And that's how I want you to love other people around you. I am your standard. Christ's love was selfless. He didn't think about himself. He didn't place himself above others. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And he says, I want you to love selfless. I'm humble. I don't place myself above others. I always take the lesser role so other people can have and I go without, right? I want you to think and to love in a giving manner. Think about the example. Christ who gave up his own life so that we could live. That's how we're to love others. We, we yield. We sacrifice. It is to be pure, to give love without receiving or expecting anything in return. That when other vile us, whenever they say mean things about us, when they're hateful to us, that we continue to love them anyway and we give them not just a little, but we give them our best love. To have this complete and perfect love, that is the standard of the new commandment. I want you, Jesus says, to love others in the same manner and fashion in which I have loved you. And the greatest thing about this is he gave us a complete, total, perfect example in himself. Have y'all ever seen young girls, teenage girls, whenever they're trying to figure out makeup? It's a disaster. They don't look like young women, they look like they're clowns. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? They, like, they get into to mom's makeup, they got the lipstick going on, they got the eyeshadow, and they think they look great. Mom walks in, dad walks in, they're like, what, what are you doing? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You got a young girl, you've done this. I've caught Carly doing this, right? She's got like war paint on her face. I'm like, girl, what are you doing? She's like, I look pretty, right, daddy? I'm like, yeah, pretty. That's pretty amazing what I'm thinking right here. You know how young women learn how to, to put on makeup? Trial and error is part of it. But they have their mom sit down with them and this is the proper amount of whatever it is you put on your, your face, right? Like, I'm not going to get into the details because I'm going to say it wrong. But moms show their daughters how to properly do this. Don't miss this. Jesus has shown us by giving himself as an example of how we are to love others. In fact, Jesus is the standard and he gave us the perfect example for how we are to love others. We are to love how? As Christ loved us. And even, even Paul, whenever he was writing to the church, didn't use himself as a standard or an example. He said this, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. As much as I'm walking with Christ, as much as I'm following him, follow me. Don't follow me according to the standard of my flesh or my desires or my attitudes or my actions or reaction. 
follow me in accordance to as much as I follow Jesus. Because people are going to be hateful to you, yes or no. People are going to say mean things about you. They're going to gossip. They're going to, they're going to misinterpret and misrepresent you. So what do we do? Do we throw tables, throw a fit, yell insults at people? No, we do the same thing that Jesus did when he was betrayed by his best friend in the garden with a kiss and we continue to love and show the love of Christ. Christ is the standard by which we are to love others in the same manner in which he loved. That's the new commandment. And we see that this commandment brings about light. Verse 9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Can y'all, moms, parents, young be included in this too, dads? Can you imagine what your house would be like if your children loved one another the way that Christ loved them? You'd be like, no, I can't. Thanks for asking. Moving on, right? But that's, can you imagine what your home would be like? Wives, husbands, if you loved your spouse according to the standard of Christ. There's no longer going to be anger over a missing remote or the meal not being cooked according to your plan or the steak being grilled according to the way you want or the chores getting done or a mistake happening or an oversight. There's going to be love, grace, and compassion. You know how much better your home life would be if you loved according to the standard of Christ? Some of y'all are like, Cole, that's not possible. Well, why would Christ command us to do something that wasn't possible? Here's the key. It's not possible in our own flesh. In our own flesh, we have vengefulness. We have rage. We have anger. We have an inability to truly forgive and look over other people's wrongdoings. That's why there's hate in our heart. That, that's why there's malice. That's why there's contempt. That's where there's a lack of love because we live in our flesh when God calls us to live in his spirit. And he's saying, look, if you say you love me, but you hate your brother, my love doesn't dwell within you because God is love and he can't be where there's hate. But whoever hates his brothers in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. When we have hate, when we have this vitriol, when we have anger, when we lack forgiveness, it creates these blinders on us. That's what hate does. It blinds us to facts. It blinds us to logic. It blinds us to rational thinking. It blinds us to the fact that we're messed up, that we're not perfect. It makes us assume the worst about everybody else. There's no grace there. There's no compassion. There's nothing good when we are controlled by hate. We're blind. And Christ says, look, I want you to understand. If you have unresolved conflict and animosity towards people in your life, people in your family, people in your church, you're not controlled by the love of God. Let me make this as crystal clear as I can. If you have people that you're no longer in relationship with, if you have friends that you refuse to speak to because they wronged you 
and they did this thing to you on purpose, there's no love of God in that relationship and Christ is not glorified and he's not present there because that's not an act of love, it's an act of hate. It's not a, a, a place and a position of Christ's love it is something that is old that should be dead in you and that is your sinful state. And Christ calls us to something better. He calls us to live in light, to be controlled by the light of God and the love of God in our hearts and our life. And light allows people to see beyond themselves. Don't miss this. Light allows you to have sympathy and empathy for other people, even those who wronged you. When you see, okay, look, this guy who did this, this lady who did this, my friend that did this, this child that did this, parent that did this to me, this in-law or my boss or my old boss, they did this to me. When we have the light of Christ, we look at them and we understand, look, they're a sin-fallen person in the same way that I'm a sin-fallen person. And yeah, what they did hurt, right? We've all been in situations where we've been hurt by somebody. Raise your hand if you have been. We don't like what, what people have said about us. Maybe they've trashed us. Maybe they trashed you this morning. But I can promise you this. What they did to you, what they are doing to you, is no worse than what you and I have done to God Almighty himself. And what does God do? He loves us with a perfect, everlasting love. A love that allows Jesus to die on the cross for those who have nothing but hate towards him. Enemies of the gospel. And so God is calling us not to love according to our standard, but his standard. And that's the nature of this text and love that we need to understand. Now, many of y'all have probably heard that there's different types of love in the Greek language. And I don't go here very often because most people don't give a rip about the Greek. Am I right? Like, you don't care. I don't care. But here's where I think it's really important in terms of understanding this kind of love. So there's four kind of loves in the, in the New Testament that we see in the Greek language. There's the first one that's storage, which describes the, the kind of family love. This is just basic paternal love, right? That you have for your children, that you might have for your brothers and sisters if you like them, uh, that you might have towards family members, right? Just this basic family love, and pretty much everybody, even animals, can, can kind of show this kind of, kind of love. I'm not saying that, that animals have, don't go there, okay? Don't be ridiculous. Um, I'm just saying it describes the kind of love that you have in your family. Uh, eros, eros, however you want to say it, eros, is carnal sexual love. This is why you're here, because there is a carnal love that your parents had, and now you're the result of that. Number three, phileo, phileo love. Get your mind out of the gutter. It's true, though. Some of you are like, hey, wait. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Phileo love. This is the kind of brotherly love that you have uh, for people in your family. But really, these are like your friends. Uh, love for friends that are closer than a brother, right? Like it causes you to sacrifice. It causes you to give. Like there's a, a natural inclination and desire to be around them, to seek the good uh, of, of their situation. People that are nice to you, you're going to phileo love them. They're your brothers, right? That brotherly love. And then there's the agape love. And this is active goodwill towards others. This isn't passive love. This is active love. And the agape love is the love that is used to describe God himself. The agape love does not care what it receives. It's more concerning about giving and seeking the best interest and the best will and the best outcome for those around them. 
The agape love isn't concerned about self. The agape love isn't concerned with how it's treated. The agape love always gives. The agape love is unconditional. The agape love is pure and righteous and complete love. And the agape love is what we are commanded to do according to this new command that we see in God's word. In other words, Christ is calling us, rather he is commanding us to remove ourselves from the love equation. It doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter what you say about me. It doesn't matter how you treat me. I will choose to love you. In fact, I will actively pursue your best interest regardless of how you treat me. That is the love that Christ calls us to because when we love that way, we represent Christ in the same manner in which he loved us. We live out the same love that he currently has for us and always has for us is the kind of love that we see in the gospel. So maybe right now you're like, okay, what does this mean? Think about good moms, right? Good moms wake up early and they make sure that their kids are prepared for the day. They wake up early. They got breakfast prepared. They got lunch prepared. Good moms, whenever it's dinner times, what do they do? They make sure the plate's on the table for everybody but themselves. They usually eat cold or lukewarm meals because they're making sure their family's taken care of, right? That Proverbs 31 kind of, kind of mom. Good moms maybe give up new clothes so their kids can have good clothes. They give up sleep like we saw in the opening video so that their kids can sleep. They give up their comfort so that other people can have comfort. This is the kind of love that God calls us to have even for the people we don't like and the people that don't like us. And by our love, they will know that we belong to Jesus. When we have that agape love flowing through us, they'll be like, this is different. Why are they continuing to be kind to me? Why are they continuing to be nice to me? Why are they continuing to pray for me? Why are they continuing to serve me? Are they a doormat? No, they are not a doormat. They are controlled by the love of God. Look at this text, because we're commanded to legitimize the love of Christ in our hearts and our lives to others. This is what the text says in verse 12. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. People questioning their faith all the time. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I secure in my salvation? Am I not secure in my salvation? He's like, look, I want you to understand this. God's love is greater than your sins. John, as the spiritual father, is writing the church saying, I want you to know that God loves you more than your sin. He loves you more than your sin can take. He's never going to stop loving you. Your sins are forgiven. You've messed up, fine. God still loves you. You think that you've had this unpardonable sin. If you receive Christ, you haven't done that one. Like rejection of the Holy Spirit is the only thing he can't forgive. When you reject God and you die, you're dead in your sins for all eternity. That's the unforgivable, unpardonable sin. Everything else you do in this life, God can love you and his love is greater than your worst sin, okay? He's saying, little child, I want you to know this. I want you to understand, my children, your sins are forgiven. I'm writing you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. You know the creator and the sustainer of the universe. You know God. I am writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I'm writing this because you've overcome and because you know him. 
In other words, because you are in Christ, you are capable of living out the agape love. Because you know Christ, you have the ability, because it's not about you, it's about Jesus and the Holy Spirit that lives in you being shown out through you to a world that is dark. It continues on, verse 14. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So what you see here is John is addressing young men, little children, and fathers. He's giving three different stages of life, right? The, the children are the ones who are growing, developing, trying to figure it out. The, the, the fathers are the ones who are supposed to be living the example. And the young men are those who are strong and they're thriving, right? They're figuring out, they're living strong. And some people think this is talking about actual ages. Some people think this is more about spiritual ages. Like, are you, are you new in your faith? Are you growing and developing in your faith? Are you supposed to be a model of your faith? Either way, it doesn't matter. We can see that there are stages and a process of maturity, and the first thing that we must understand this is that believers should have assurance of their salvation. You should know that you know that you know Jesus. You should have confidence that if on the way home your heart stops beating, on the way home that you're no longer living, that beyond a shadow of a doubt you will spend eternity with God in heaven. Like he wants them to quit doubting their faith. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, he gives in the main idea of this letter. It is this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you may have perfect confidence that you have eternal life. And I just want you to, to, to hear me on this. If you're in here today and you have any question whatsoever about your salvation, you have two options here. You can leave this place today continuing to doubt your salvation or you can walk the aisle and say, I am tired of doubting. I'm tired of not knowing. And you might be like, but I don't want to walk the aisle and say this out loud because people might judge me. You might have an insecurity about this. Let me, let me tell you this. Your eternity and the desire to have that shored up should be so much greater than your concern about what somebody around you thinks. And here's a little side note to that. They will only be happy for you. They will only be happy for you. True story. I know of a pastor who was preaching a sermon. In the sermon, got convicted. He walked the aisle and said, church, I just got to be, I, I know about God and, and, and I love God, but I've never given him my heart. Right there, got saved. They're like, you're fired, and they burned him at the stake right there. It's not true. <laughs> they celebrated. And they had another pastor come in for a little bit. He stayed on staff, and they saw it as a sign of maturity, and they kept him on staff, and, and it was just an amazing testimony. You know who it was? Walter Gilliam. Oh, I'm just too scared to do that. No, 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 no. God wants you to be sure. The church had a lack of assurance and God wanted to make sure through John that they were secure in their faith and their trust and their belief. So if you're here, please know this. If you have doubt, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you to make sure that you leave here with confidence of eternal life. And then he's addressing that as you become a Christian, that you are to develop in your faith. 
How sad would it be if in 2023, you had the same level of faith, the same level of trust, the same level of knowledge, and the same level of light in you as you had right now. God doesn't want you to stay the same. He doesn't want you to be stagnant. He doesn't want you to just be concerned about maintenance. He wants you to grow in your faith. He is calling us to development. He wants little children to go into young men to become fathers. Fathers of their faith, examples. He wants us to spiritually grow and develop. We have a strategy for this here at First Baptist Rowlett. We understand that the overwhelming majority in the 90 plus percentile, right, way up there, come in and their first experience in our church is in a worship service. We love it. Come in, we hope that you connect with God and others. We hope that people are nice to you and friendly, but we don't want you to just stay in worship. We want you to move from worship into a connect group, a small group, Sunday school class, Bible study class, whatever you want to call it. We want you to move from this great open space where you come and hopefully get a great proclamation of God's word, great worship and song that God can speak to you. But we want you to take that into a small group to where you can communicate what God's doing in your heart and your life, to where you can share life with others, to where you can be held accountable, to where you can be challenged in your faith. We want you in a connect group. We want you in a Sunday school class, a small group. Why? Because it's important and you can't do life by yourself. And then what we hope in, in our connect groups There's people who are new to their faith or they have no idea what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that they will be involved and connected in a go group. A go group stands for God and others. The purpose of a go group is to be a disciple who can make a disciple. That is the mission statement. That is the summary of a go group, to become a disciple who can make disciples. And in go groups, as you go through that process, when we don't have kind of anybody that, that needs to go through a go group for the first time, we have this thing called advanced go groups. Please hear me in this. Advanced go groups are not an end unto themselves. They are not the goal. An advanced go group should kind of have this underlying assumption that at any point somebody's going to lead that advanced go group that there's a new believer who needs to go into a first time go group. Because if you're not a disciple making a disciple, then you're missing the point of a go group. And so what we hope is that there are times people who go through a go group get called out into service to go start their own go group. Or maybe they go to start working in the preschool or the nursery. Maybe they work in the AVL team. We want there to be growth to where you stop worrying about yourself and what's in it for me. And you have a mindset that says, I don't care about me. I'm going to give up myself for others. I will forgo my own desires, my own wants, so that I can agape love other people and love others in the same manner that Jesus has loved me. Spiritual maturation, getting us to the point to where we think nothing, very little of ourselves, and very much about other people who need to know Christ, people who are far from Christ, and we give them that love. So how how do we do it? How do we live as commanded? Well, it starts by being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like if you have no desire to be discipled and to grow in your faith, you need to question, how could that be? How could I give my life and surrender to Jesus and then not do anything he says? Salvation is not a get out of hell free card. Salvation is an entrance into a right standing and a right relationship with God. And so you got to make sure that you know him as your personal Lord and Savior. 
For some of you, you might have been coming to, to church for years or even decades, but you're not sure about your salvation. Today needs to be the day that you walk the aisle and you say, I am tired of doubting. I will be sure. I will have complete assurance of my faith starting today. And as you are sure in your faith, the next step is that you live in the strength of Christ. You live in the strength of Christ, that you shine as Christ shines in you, that as you're in a relationship with Christ, that you're no longer controlled by your own wants and desires and needs, but you're controlled by the wants and the desires of Christ. You look more like Jesus than you do your former self who didn't know Jesus. You're strengthened by the salvation and the spirit of God that is alive and dwelling within you. He controls your mind and your heart and your life. As we look at, at verses 12 through 14, you also live where the true power source is, and that is with the word of God in you. The word of God that transforms your mind and your heart, that you are renewed by the word in your life. That the word of God changes your mind your attitude and your heart, this living, active word of God that we have in the Bible, that it breaks through the coldness of our hearts and the stillness of our desires. And we live out that which he commanded and called us to. We make a decision that we're not gonna live according to our own selves, but we make the decision that we will live and that we will light up our world with the light of Jesus.